do it. Alrighty, g'day guys. Welcome to another episode. Uh, of course, you've got Josh here and I'm joined with Dane. Dane, how are we? Not too bad, man. So we today uh, we're going to... Yeah, I'm alright. Thanks, Dane. Uh, today... <laughs> sorry, that was a bit, was a bit uh, awkward anyway. Um, today we're going to spend a bit of time talking about uh, morphs and localities in the reptile world. Um, so this should be a fun discussion. Um, but for starters, we're going to start off with our usual uh, little story time. Um, so today I think uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about another, another one of my little stories. Um, this one's interesting. Um, so it, it's less of a look at me doing something stupid. This one's more of a, a memory-based thing. Um, so for the first couple of years of um, my, my early childhood, um, effectively my... Uh, one of my uncles and aunties used to live up in Darwin and a few different places in the Northern Territory. Um, so every winter holidays, we'd go up there um, and spend two weeks, uh, whether it was in Kakadu National Park or in Darwin, depending on you know what we were up to, uh, which fantastic experience. I tell you, that part of the world is just phenomenal. Um, and I've got two... Actually, it's three very distinctive memories that really don't kind of make sense because they don't point to any particular event. But because of the way my brain works, they're the only things that I remember about the time up there. Um, so one is we were staying at this uh, like caravan park type of thing in, um, in, in I think it was Jabiru, which is the, the town uh, where that's kind of in the middle of Kakadu National Park. And um, basically, we were, we were walking around uh, probably early night, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe seven, eight o'clock, something like that. I don't know. Um, and we just saw, I, I can distinctly remember seeing a, a black dingo walk up, walk up, ransack a bin, and then run off. <laughs> and I can confidently say that it was every bit a dingo and not a dog. But I, I just have that distinct memory. Um, another one is uh, walking out the front of uh, where we were staying in in a morning, and there was a you know a nice big tree, and I can just remember chasing this little skink around the tree. I have no idea what it was, but just just chasing it around the, around the tree as, as it was doing laps, just going around yeah. and around and around and around. You know the, the little <laughs> energizer energizer bunny that I was, just following this thing. Um, and the last one that has only kind of recently come back to me um, was uh, in their, their Darwin house. They used to back onto a spot that had uh, red-tailed black cockies fly across. Um, and I just remember one probably mid-afternoon, maybe early morning, something, you know, somewhere between there, uh, walking out into the backyard and just seeing this massive flock of, you know, really big red-tailed blacks with that bright, bright red you know, red tail just flying across. Um, just, you know, fantastic stuff. If you haven't been up to the Northern Territory, God, I recommend it highly. Uh, whether it be, you know, the deserts in Alice uh, or, you know, up in Darwin, either way, it's just phenomenal. That sort of a place really gets under your skin. I can tell you now I'm itching to go back uh, ever, ever since. Um, that's my story time for today. Something a little bit different, I suppose. Um, now, I did also want to mention on the back of last episode, we started talking about the VHS uh, event. 
I just wanted to list some of the the people that have been confirmed to be a part of that event. So we've got uh, Peter Perch, uh, Peter Birch, sorry, Birchy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <good> start. <laughs> Let's restart that. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, we have Peter Birch, uh, David Kirshner, Scott Iper, uh, Marion Anstis, uh, Dr. Shane Simpson, Brad Walker, and Dan Rumsey. They're all confirmed to be doing talks at uh, the symposium event. Um, as I said in the last uh, last show, highly recommend going. It's gonna. It's not gonna be. You know, you don't want to miss it. Basically. Um, but yeah, that that pretty much sums up our main sort of notes for today. So let's get into the discussions, shall we? Dane, do you want to take it off? Let's talk about your uh, history with morphs and localities uh, and what you keep now and all of that fun stuff. Um, I don't really have any background with morphs at all. It never really, like, it got my interest. It's not something I'm, you know, too... Uh, interested in so uh, I like I never really plan to get morphs and look into the genetics of stuff and breed to get this it's it's just too much of a headache for me I find uh I've, I've liked different locales of animals it's never been a huge priority of mine either I do have quite a few different locales now uh of just different blue tongues I, I find it is an in an area of interest locales, but I don't think it's something that's going to overly um, affect my, you know. It, it, it doesn't not, drive your decision-making for whether to buy something or not. That's correct, yeah, or breed anything specifically. Yeah, yeah. I know on your your behalf that it, it's, um, it's quite more of a, a decision-maker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, I suppose for, for me, I started off very heavy into the, the morph side of things um, because I think it was it coincided well with uh, me meeting uh, a, a mentor and good mate of mine, uh, Joe Ball, uh, and me doing uh, genetics in uh, my biology classes at school. So that yeah. really piqued my, my science brain um, and that really took it off. Um, and I've had a, a, f a fair few different, um, whether it's, you know, hets for different bits and pieces, that sort of stuff, mostly in the blue tongues. Um, I did at one stage have some, uh, carpet python morphs as well. Um, but nowadays I'm looking more at the, the locality side of things. It's, uh, become quite a passion of mine, you know, trying to preserve some of these, um, locales that are on their way out um, or are just becoming uh, you know but just starting to show their potential I suppose um, and as 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 opposed to Dane I suppose it really does sort of drive whether or not I go down the route of purchasing something um, but there are always going to be exceptions to that as well you know there are certainly things yeah. that I've I've bought over the years where I go, I have no idea where it's from, but it looks cool and I have the ability to keep it. So I might as well. A good example of that is the King Skink. Um, yeah. <laughs> Elvis looks like no other King Skink that I've seen. I'm not saying he's special, but he's just different. He's not, he doesn't he's fit the speckled category. He doesn't fit the black category. He's kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, 
Some people have suggested he might be from like an island population. I have no idea. He could be a, a mix for all I know, but he's just a cool animal. So I'm not complaining yeah. there. Um, but nowadays, I think I find myself getting more driven by the, the locality side of things than the, the morph side of things. Um, but for all intensive purposes for this discussion, I think um, Dane's probably going to focus more on the, the locality and the wild type side of things. Um, and I'll try and do more of the, the morph side of things. Um, this is not going to be something like, uh, you know, the, the Reptile Flight Club show. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, definitely do. Uh, that's through the, the Morelia Python uh, network group. Um, that show is fantastic. Um, they they kind of pick a topic and then kind of talk about two different sides. Um, it's really interesting to listen to. Uh, and of course they've got uh, Chuck and Justin Julander over there doing that show. Um, this is going to be something slightly different, but we're just going to talk about the two different sides because it seems to be one of those things that really sort of splits the hobby down the middle. Um, and there's not really that kind of gray area in the middle. It's And it has been for a long time now. Um, you know, if you if you look back through some of the uh, old uh, Aussie pythons and snakes forums, it was literally like you could cut the tension over a TV, over a computer screen with a knife uh, <laughs> between, you know, the two different sides. There were people that swore to not sell to certain people because they were producing morphs or mixes or whatever it was. Um, although I think that's kind of, become less of a divisive issue nowadays um but yeah go on dane what do you what do you reckon let, let, let's let's hear your thoughts on it all shall we um look personally i think you should be if you choose to breed animals you aim to produce the the most healthiest strongest animals you can uh yeah unfortunately a lot of case in morphs that's it's not going to happen it's just generally a weaker animal that's typically what, um, you know, line breeding and all that shit does. There's not much you can do about it, but it does produce some really nice looking critters. It just, I fail to see the point in that animal just looks nice. Let's make more of it. Yeah. I just don't quite understand that. I see all these people acquiring morphs all for the same reason. And that's to breed morphs. Yeah. No, no one wants to keep morphs. They want to breed morphs. So that's kind of the point. It's, I'm just like, what's the point at the end of the day? I, I understand breeding, but also do you not want to enjoy your animals, I guess? Uh, I don't know. I just fail to see the motive behind a lot of morphs. But um, I don't have too much of a strong opinion on either. Like, I, I would never uh, refuse to, to sell something to someone just because they, they, you know, oh, they breed this and this. I don't want them to have this animal. Like, yeah, that seems you. to be seems to be more of a uh, an older school kind of take on it. But I, I can see why someone would do that. Certainly, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's just more of a, you know, just uh, don't breed something that's can't have a decent life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you yeah. get where I'm going. Yeah, no, there's a a very shall we say a very particular mutation that comes to mind there in that one, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that one up to the imagination of the listeners. I'm sure you can all figure out what we're talking about there. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on that, that point about the, the health of the animals. I think that's a, a very important point to make. Um, I think you tend to find that with the morphs, 
um, this is going to be a bit of a, a scientific approach. Um, so if you, you don't understand anything or want to, you know, have a chat to me about more of this, feel free to send me a message afterwards. But um, as you produce morphs, generally what happens is you increase the uh, homozygosity in the population, which basically means that um, your recessive genes become more likely to be uh, expressed. Um, and what tends to happen when that happens is you're more likely to have undesirable defects occur, whether that be things like kinks or whether that be, you know, funny things during, uh, you know, as they age, whatever it might be, something like that, um, or certain genetic predispositions to certain illnesses in an earlier age, whatever it might be. Um, but there are absolutely, there are certainly ways that you can go about the morph breedings um, to avoid uh, increasing your homozygosity so much where you start having issues. There are ways and means of avoiding it. Obviously, you're going to have to, to produce any recessive animal. You're going to have to put a related animal to a related animal. But there are ways and means of doing the process of outcrossing, which is breeding to a completely unrelated animal. And we've seen the success of that, particularly in the blue tongues um, over the last you know, 10 or so years with the stuff that Joe has been doing um, and a few other keepers and breeders as well. Um, but I did want to uh, say that, that point about the, the um, morphs being more for the breeder than the keeper is, is a very interesting point, Dane. Um, I think that that is quite a, a good uh, point of discussion that there tends to be this mentality that you're going to um, Oh, kind of on the back of the the American ball python thing, you're going to invest. That 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 word tends to come up quite a bit. You're going to invest your yeah. money into uh, these morphs, and then to to regain your investment, you're going to produce more of them. Um, but there there isn't often that. You know what? This just looks cool. I'm just going to keep it because it looks cool. Yeah, that's it. that seems to be more of a commonality with the occasional wild type animal. I don't know. Maybe that's just the people that I, you know, that I see and the people that I speak to. I'm not sure. Maybe there are other people out there that do the same thing. Um, one thing that I do find interesting um, that seems to be coming, oh, that seems to be a, a common theme is that the, many of the morph keepers will have two different streams um, behind their, their, their morphs and their breeding projects. So often you'll have a, a, a collection that'll be, a small portion of locality animals or pure animals. And then you will have a, a, a collection within, within that collection, you'll have a group of the, the morph or the mixed, whatever it might be uh, animals as well. There seems to be like that common mi mixture, you know, that there's two separate groups, but they've got both types almost if, if you kind of get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. But See, it's it's just interesting how um, when you know how different people get into the hobby depends on where they go with the animals that they've got as well. Mm. Like you know, for, for for yourself, there was never that that morph thing never really came into into play. Um, no. But for, for for myself, that was one of the first things that I was introduced to. Um, so I went heavy into that initially. Um, and well, heavy is relative, I suppose. You know, I, I haven't can't say I've had more than you know fifty animals, whatever it is. But um, 
yeah, that's it's certainly an, it's an interesting point. Um, certainly, that you know, uh, keeper versus breeder mentality, I suppose. Yeah, it's just like at what point do uh, are you keeping them for the money or the gain? At that point, it's like are you there to really have a pet or are you there to like make money? I don't know. Mm. It, it's kind of this weird uh, place people shift in and out of. Oh, this is I. These are my pets. I just breed these. It's like, okay, <laughs> what's the point of you having this list <laughs> at the end of the day? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, there's always that um, awkward in between, I suppose. Um, and as you said, some people will shift between, you know, either side. Um, yeah, we're not saying we're, we we have nothing against morph keepers, nothing against locality keepers, nothing at oh, all. No, absolutely um, not. Both of us are friends with both sides. Um, absolutely. Um, it's just an interesting discussion point. Um, and it seems to be one of those reoccurring discussions always, you know, probably every two or three years, it's a morphs versus localities that comes up somewhere in the, the interwebs as well. Um, one thing that I will say that has been interesting to note, um, over probably the last two or three years, I think the uh, locality or the wild type animals are becoming more popular. They're kind yeah. of having a, a resurgence almost. Okay. Um, there seems to be more people that are looking for, pardon me, um, particular species or localities rather than looking for particular morphs. Um, but I think that's just the natural cycle of it all. Like that's going to happen anyway. Um, I think, uh, for a lot, a lot of what drives the, the morph side of things is that first time keeper or, uh, you know, initial keeper almost that's wanting to make that jump from a keeper to a breeder. Yeah. I think that seems to be the common theme there. Um, and then they get to a point where it's either, okay, do I go down morphs or do I go down? wild types and localities or somewhere in between. There's kind of three main streams after that initial step, I suppose. It comes down to like what's readily available to. So typically to like a new, like a newcomer into keeping reptiles and they, they're wanting to breed something. They're going to go look at, you know, their gum tree or the reptile class fields and they're going to classify or whatever, uh, however you pronounce it. Sorry. Yeah, um, and they, and, and the pet these, shops as well. That's it. They're going to see all these morphs and pretty much not a lot of pure stuff. And they give me that, oh, this is available and I want to breed like now. So mm. why not get this? They're not going to, they, don't, they won't have the networking that's required to, you know, get the animal they really want or. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, I think one, one thing is as well that a lot of people that are, or some people, I should stop generalizing. Some people that do get into it, see the, the, how many zeros are behind the animal. If you kind of get what I'm saying and go, Oh, so I can, do they get their Punnett square out and they go, okay, so I can make this many of those and sell them for this much. And wham, bam, there you go. Happy days. Um, yeah, that's it. That seems to be uh, a bit of a, a pitfall that a lot of, uh, that some people do fall into. Um, but one thing I did want to say as well is that I've met and spoken to plenty of very well-versed 
uh, well-respected morph breeders and it's not necessarily just a money thing. It's really not some people that is their true passion. Um, I think the most important thing though is exactly that. As long as it is, you know, whatever you're doing, as long as you truly are passionate about it, then that's the most important thing. Um, if it's just a, a side thing, there's probably no point in really keeping it, to be honest. Um, I know I've gone through those phases where I, every, probably every year or every six months, depending on what's going on in my life, I look at my collection go, okay, out of what I've got here, what am I truly excited to see every time I go out and look at them? Yeah. Um, and whatever ticks that box stays. If there's anything that doesn't tick that box, then I start considering my options there. Um, I don't know if that's just me um, or if other people do that. Again, feel free to let us know. Um, but I, I just find, although that, that probably sounds, sounds a little bit bad, that kind of mentality, but um, I just find that it's the best way to correctly care for things because if it's going to be something that you're passionate about you're going to do it properly and you're not going to skip any steps if it's something that you're less passionate about then you might you know might not change that water bowl every couple of days or you know you might forget to fill up that water bowl on, uh, that food bowl on the weekend whatever it is you know um whatever it might be something like that you know yeah but um it's it's always going to be one of those those topics that uh, I suppose divides certain areas of the hobby, definitely. Um, and it seems to be in very particular groups that it becomes an issue or a, a common thread, I suppose. Um, whether that be because the morphs aren't in other areas of the hobby, I don't know. Um, for an example, most of your morphs you're going to find are going to be in blue tongues, carp pythons, and anteresia purely because yeah. they're the most commonly kept. Um, they're the easiest to keep, easiest to breed, and they've got the most morphs. Anywhere in those those groups, you're going to find people that split, you know, either side or people that keep a bit of both. Uh, everybody's going to have, generally, generally speaking, most people have their preference. Um, but then you go to something like uh, your... Uh, you know, small dragons or small skinks or basically any, any of the skinks that are not blue tongues, uh, you know, or your, you know, your elapids, your venomous snakes. Morphs really don't play much of a role, although they're, they're there in some instances. There's really not a discussion about them. No. It's just, it's more that, look at this cool oddity. Look at this locality animal that I have here, you know, whether it's a Tasmanian tiger snake or it's a Queensland uh, leopard tenotus or pantherinus, whatever it is, you know, it's not that, look at this, you know, occasionally you'll have that, look at this albino tree snake, which, you know, fantastic. They're, they're a very, uh, they're quite a success story. You know, they're a cool species, but it's not, there's not that division, I suppose. It's just like, no. a, yep, just appreciate what's there a lot more commonly you're going to find, look at this cool random species that I've just, you know, just been able to acquire that's kept by maybe three people in the country, you know, something like that compared to the, you know, let's get a thread of jags going. Let's get a thread of zebras. And then you see, you know, like 20 different, it's this, 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 and this in one 
woo. <laughs> and then and then you'll have that one person to go. Nobody likes Jags because they're roly poly and neuro and stuff. It's like, well, that you're making a point, but you're beating it to death, pretty much. I mean, you know, I think at at this point in time, if you're if people are keeping and breeding them, still, it's not going to change, really. Um, no. You're always going to have people that will say that they don't show any signs, um, and you know that is that is possible, but. Uh, put them in the wrong environment and you'll start seeing them pretty quickly. Um, I've had the, the personal experience of working with some through the uh, pet shop side of things. Uh, I used to, used to work at, a, at a, a local store down here in Vic. Um, and yeah, look, I ended up, it got to the point where I just didn't bring them out and I just didn't show people the, the Jags um, just because the, the whole corkscrewing nonsense just, did my head in um yeah you know I, again that, that that's you know individuals people will make their decisions on that sort of a thing as well that's another those those ones that seems to be a bit divisive as well uh particularly the jags just because of the uh health implications that are, are known for that particular mutation um that aren't going anywhere can we can we just put that out there um that, that it's impossible they will go anywhere <laughs> uh, regardless <laughs> regardless of how many times you cross it to this that or the other thing it's still going to be there the thing you're still going to have one of them that's going to flip its head over it's just the way yeah. it goes um it's the same thing you know uh, i one positive i will say is there seems to be a lot less people doing a jag to jag pairing to try and get that leucistic which is i think personally a really good thing to see that there's less people doing that um because I think people have finally gotten to the point where, okay, it's not going to work. That although that all white snake looks fantastic, yeah, it's not going to live. Like if if it if it was going to, there would be more of them. <laughs> yeah, that's where <laughs> you know? the uh, the quality of life comes into debate, really. Exactly, exactly. You know that whole oh, it's got an enlarged heart and it's got like one less lung or something, you know, whatever it is. Like, what's the point, really? Um, uh, but I think that the JAG discussion is can go on for hours and hours on end, that one. that That's one of those things that will never really go away because they are, in all honesty, they are a stunning snake. Like, don't get me wrong. They look yeah. fantastic. Um, but that question of... The, 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 the question that underlies all of this is the morals and ethics behind it. Um, I think one thing that is a good point to make though, that I have heard a lot of people suggest is really what's the difference between locality breeding and morph breeding. You're still picking two animals to breed. It's not, you know, the, the comment of it's not the wild. They haven't picked their mate. You've picked that. It's that, um, you know, you've picked that male to go to that female because you want to see more of the striping or more of that color. What's the difference, I suppose? What are your thoughts on that, Dan? Um, look, I think uh, that is a bit of a tough one, I guess. But it does come into the, the play of, well, morphs have all these genetics behind it already, which already weakens the animal. So I guess you can argue that, well, it's either way, it's, um, uh, what, what do you call it? 
line line breeding, I guess. Yeah, you're still select. You're still selectively breeding for a, a particular trait. That's it, but it's. I think it depends. At what point do you stop, or mm. how far do you go? Like, yeah. are you doing parent to siblings or siblings to siblings? You know, grandparent just fucking to uh, what, what? What would you call it? You know, grandbaby, grandchild, whatever it is. That's it. Yeah, it's um. And then you know, you, I suppose with a lot of the morphs as well, the one kind of issue is you don't know how far back that type of breeding goes. Yeah, you know, it, as, yeah. as far as you know, the, you know, the, the founder stock could have all come from the same two, you know, two kilometer box of wild. And it's just been yeah. bred into, 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 until you've acquired those animals and you're going to do the same thing again. Yeah. Well, that, that's also another reason of debate. It's like a lot of reptiles, uh, to my knowledge, they have like a territory. Well, mm. obviously they're going to breed to other reptiles that share, you know, that kind of five kilometer range. They're going to have babies. Those babies are going to stay in that five, five kilometer range. Yeah. So there's always going to be that chance there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally there is probably going to be sibling to sibling pairings or sibling to parent pairings. Uh, probably not as often as you would find in captivity, but well, definitely not as as often, but it yeah. is still, it, it's it still exists. It's still out there. That's it. So really, and then I believe there was like another debate of um, reptiles not lacking the gene that uh, you'd find. Like, uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a, a there's a um, I think I think that it's a reduced chance of genetic okay. dispositions to yeah, I believe. Uh, issues with inbreeding. I think it was something like that, but I do, I do remember that what you're talking about there. Yeah. Obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do remember hearing that somewhere where it's like, which would make more sense in a, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, and I suppose that the one question that all the, you know, the defects and uh, undesirable traits that appear I suppose that's yep. also the, the one other discussion that always comes up there is the, is it environmental or is it genetic? Who knows? That's you know, it. Is there a incubation fault? Is there something else behind it, you know, or is it inbreeding? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. always going to be that, that point of gray area, I suppose. But, um, I think it would be really good for this sort of a discussion. If we got some people from, for, for next time when we do this, some people from different areas of either the reptile hobby or different hobbies that also deal with the same sort of issue. Um, like yeah. I would love to hear some bird people's take on the, the mutation side of things, because um, I would imagine uh, in theory, birds would have more issues potentially from a, an inbreeding standpoint, which goes both ways, you know, localities and yeah. morphs, it goes both ways really that, that yeah. kind of inbreeding is probably always going to happen re- realistically because you've you've only got a limited starting point, if if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would certainly be an interesting discussion to have some people from different walks of life for for that sort of a topic for next time as well. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea to get some different opinions on one from either side of the extreme. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um. But yeah, it's always going to be one of those topics that comes up and you're going to have people from either side of it, you know, really. Um, 
but it's interesting as well how different i suppose different groups of keepers respond to it differently as well as i said before yeah. you know with the cer- only certain kind of species or groups that have the main sort of driver being the morphs um which is quite interesting to see you know whether that will change over time as well um i think reese as i said before you know there has been a trend of more interest in the 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 wild type animals um and you know personally i hope that that continues um yeah because that's i think that's a good uh, you know if if australia has any issues like the americans do at the moment with their reptile keeping you know coming under fire i think it would be a better a better situation to have more keepers keeping things that are you know wild types than say you know look at all of the jags as an example or that's it you know look at all of these kink tail animals or whatever it is you know well um it comes with a thing uh also the department uh not euthanizing all morphs uh that they um what would you call it take into custody as well yeah yeah that does i have heard that from a few different sources that um a lot of your uh wildlife authorities um tend to not be fans of the morph side of things um and take the line of um generally speaking destruction over divvying them out to you know keepers that they know are going to do good things or whatever it is you know whatever it might be depending on the 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 context i suppose yeah um but yeah that that in itself is a whole nother kettle of fish there (laughs) yeah definitely um i think the the main problem that comes into play with the uh with a lot of these types of debates is the uh, husbandry element um, in the sense that oftentimes when you're dealing with a trait or a group of traits or a locality or you know either side of the debate if you're keeping a lot of them generally you have a disposition to go to the rack keeping side of things yes that is true generally speaking um, that is a whole nother kettle of fish. <laughs> that is that in itself. Yeah. That's a, that's a topic for another day. Um, but I think that as well kind of puts a dampener on it. Um, again, you know, the rack side of things, we'll bring that up at another time. We'll get a few different keepers on to talk about that. I reckon, um, that's a whole nother kettle of fish there. Um, but I think the, the other thing that kind of follows up with the morph side of things inevitably is the, let's put uh, this species from far north Queensland and this one from Victoria together and see what happens. Yeah. Um, I think fortunately uh, from, from my point of view, at least there's less of this, let's put this normal wild type to this normal wild type from a completely different species, mix them together and see what happens. That yeah. used to be a bit more common, I think. Um, nowadays it's a bit more selective um, but I think the the important thing with anyone who's going to breed anything regardless of what it is um, 
is to just think first about what's going to happen to what you produce. Yeah. You know, are there going to be people that are going to want them? Um, or are you going to have to keep them all? I think that should always be a, a driving factor in that discussion. You know, do you have an escape route if you end up with too many, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that that in itself uh, comes up quite frequently. Um, and the, the escape route is usually the, oh, look, X pet shop. I have 10 of these, whatever they are. Um, do you want them for X amount? You know, and then usually what happened, at least what happens sometimes depending on the, sh you know, the, the establishment is that it kind of gets lost in translation, what they actually are. Yeah. And that's where problems arise. Um, oh, you're going through that many middlemen to the point where, you know, Oh, if it's like da 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 hit to this, uh, that hit turns could be manipulated into, Oh, 66% hit or, it's a hundred percent hit or it's not head at all. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, there's always that gray area. Um, but I think guarantee. as well for the, sorry, go on Dan. Sorry. Yeah, no, that that's it. <laughs> yeah. You. Um, I think that from, from my standpoint, and I, th I know there's a few keepers out there that will agree with this potentially as well, is that if you're going to go down the mutation and the morph route, do it properly. What I mean by that is don't just get a bunch of 50% this, 33% that, 66% this, whatever nonsense it is, whack them all together and see what happens. Because then you just end up with, in all reality, a clusterfuck of animals. Um, yeah. Do it properly. Bank on producing more visual animals than normal animals and the normal animals be 100% hets. Do it properly. If you're going to go down the investment route, although I hate to use that term in this context, it, it is realistically, it is an investment. Um, do it properly. Even if that means getting less animals and having less production. Yes. It's better to start with the definites and then play the odds game. than play the odds game times three. Yeah. Cause you're already working on slim odds as it is whether it's hats or visuals, whatever it is, you're already working on, is it going to breed? Is it going to produce infertiles? What's my ratio going to be? What are the sexes going to be? You've already got so many other odds at play. Why add the, oh, it may prove out, or I might just have a bunch of normals. Whoops, then what? <laughs> I think that's an important discussion. I know I've had this conversation with a few different keepers and, um, some of them will go to uh, more extreme lengths to ensure that unnecessary animals don't get produced. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, I, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that for, for that side of things, but um, just do it properly. Don't try and skip steps. Like, although the, you know, whatever percentage it is, uh, and I, I'm personally, I am a culprit of this too. You know, I, still to this day have uh post hit animals that I'm hope you know hoping prove out playing that odds game and it's a it, it's a wreck honestly like uh I think the the odds stress me out more than the husbandry side of things um, <laughs> you know and the 
they're, they're going to sell offspring from things like that. <sighs> Who knows? I mean, like, that's going to be this year's problem. I know for previous years, I've sold them more as, I suppose, your normal, if you will. Um, I think I'm going to take that route where if I get a full litter of normal, you know, wild-type animals, it's better to sell them as that but mention that, oh, this is the pairing, um, but sell them for that sort of a price range than for a het price range, if you get what I'm saying, for the ones where there's that difference. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And I think there's, there's a lot of guys in the States that take that route as well, where it's that, you know, it's better to undersell yourself and have the customer end up with more than have oversell and have the customer end up with less because that's going to yeah. be a whole nother headache. Um, I think that's probably the, the best route to take if you are going to go down the morph route. And there's certainly a lot of potential there, whether it's carpets, whether it's anteresia, whether it's blueies, whatever it is, there's plenty of different routes that you can take there. Um, absolutely. You know, there's always going to be a new thing that pops up that everybody's going to want. Um, it's just kind of the way it goes. But in saying that, I think there's also a lot of potential for line bred and wild type and locality traits to start coming through. Um, I think that the the jungle carpets are probably the best example of that. Uh, we're talking, you know, anywhere from five to ten years ago, again in the the APS days, where you had, you know, like seven different, you know, lines. I, I use that word very lightly as well. Uh, yep. of jungle carpets and you know each of them had their different traits and there was the tigers and the stripes and the reduced patterns the increased patterns that this that and the other thing and a lot of that's still around today and there's still that element of history there as well like you can track back where that sort of animal has come from and they look fantastic but they're they're, they're still pure animals you know what i mean they're still from you know this pairing to this pairing that was originally from this part of jungle habitat, whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that side of things is only just starting to come through into other species as well. That that line or selective breeding potential is just starting to be realised, I suppose. Okay. Um, I think. <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, Something like the, the hypo-bread line have been around for ages. Um, people are starting to work on the other side of that, the, the, the hyper-bread line, the darker side of things. You know, striped coasters have been around for ages. Um, people are starting to work on, you know, different things with Murray Darlings or different things with Diamonds, you know. There's a lot of work being done on stuff that's not morph-related. Yeah. I suppose. Um so it'll be very interesting to see where the hobby takes it over the next couple of years, I suppose. Yeah, it would be very interesting, especially, you know, there's always new people coming in, but new takes, really more people than ever. So, Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that's been an interesting trend that we'll probably talk about in another episode as well is the way that we keep animals is changing as well, I think. Um, yeah. This whole new breed of keeper that's, 
oh, I suppose it's not a new breed of keeper, but through social media, they've become more become more prominent, shall we say? Mm-hmm. The the naturalistic, the bioactive, the you know whatever it is that the enrichment side of things, all of that stuff is starting to really take off more than ever at the moment. Um, and I think it's good to see that even a lot of local pet stores and things like that are taking up that route of keeping and presenting that to potential customers as well. Yeah. Um, I think if that continues to be pushed forward, we're going to be in a really good spot over the next couple of years. Yeah. It's going to be definitely the ideal better than what it was. Or it currently is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we'll tend to find that there'll be a lot of people that have smaller collections with bigger space for animals and less, a lot less of the, you know, I have, let's say someone's got 200 animals in their rack systems, you know, throughout the house or whatever it is, uh, or in their, their yeah. reptile shed, you know, something like that. Um, I think we're, we're starting to see that shift. Um, and, you know, certainly uh, with the, the jumps that the hobby's made in the short period of time that both myself and Dane have been in there, it's going to change a lot over the next couple of years for sure. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, we saw those changes within ourselves as well, so... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I suppose we can we can talk about that for a moment too. Um, particularly for for myself, I started out um, going gung ho into the rack keeping, the getting whatever I can, pumping out as many of them as I can. You know the the route that frankly is the wrong way to go about it. To be to be completely honest, that's where I started off, um, and in the last four, you know, four or five years, I've changed that mentality with influence from plenty of different people that I um, am very fortunate to call mates of mine um, that have, I suppose, questioned that side of things or have shown uh, the potential of the bigger space or, you know, the UV or, this, that, or the other thing, you know, whatever it is, um, to improve the husbandry and the potential uh, as well. Um, And I think that's been a really positive influence as well. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. I I also had a few things. uh, I did at one stage build racks, but I ended up uh, binning them quite not long after, realising it after... uh, a couple of different people told me off for it. <laughs> really realizing it's just not the way an animal should be living. Yeah, you know, I suppose there's. Be able to sleep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I think that's that's the main thing that hit struck me was you know, um, you walk into a room. Do you want to see a chest of drawers or do you want to see the actual animals? I suppose. That's it. Um, you know, and that animal doing its natural behavior. Like right now I'm looking at a bread lie basking under a heat lamp. I'm looking at two baby Murrays that are basking under their heat lamps after having a meal today. You know, it's so much better than just looking at a, a, a bunch of tubs. That's it. And occasionally seeing something, you know, crawl across the front. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and I it. think for, for personal, you know, this is completely anecdotal with no evidence to back it up whatsoever. But I think, that I so I used to keep some of my blue tongues in racks, 
and I've since changed them to the, the URS plastic tanks. And I think personally I have seen improvements in their husbandry, uh, well, definitely improvements in their husbandry, but improvements in their behaviour and uh, physical health and everything like that. You know, they've genuinely come leaps and bounds in the last probably year and a bit that I've had that set up. Um, yeah, I agree. Compared to what they were set up in. Um, and I think as that sort of thing becomes more and more popular or the outdoor keeping or whatever it is, um, the hobby's only going to improve. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise I think, uh, we've, uh, done this topic, uh, enough for, for tonight. Um, there's, as I said, there's, it's always going to be a continued debate. There's always going to be people on either side of the, the fence. Um, yeah, I would quite like to revisit this topic with a few other um, different opinions thrown in the mix as well. Yeah, certainly uh, some, some different influences and different people that keep differently would be quite interesting to discuss as well. Yeah, definitely, because um, Josh and I have pretty much had the a similar... Uh, you know, we do have a similar look on it nowadays. Yeah, a similar contention, I suppose. That's it. So it's like hearing it from someone else who, you know, maybe hasn't had that influence or... Uh, yeah, thinks about it differently. That's it, yeah. yeah. It would be really good and valuable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, alrighty, so that will do us for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, as we've said, every episode as it finishes, uh, feel free to send either myself or Dane a message. If you have any questions or if you would like to be featured on the show or whatever it is, uh, feel free to give us a buzz. Uh, you can find me at Josh's of the reptiles, uh, on just about all of your social media platforms. Um, and Dane, where can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at blue horizon reptiles. Perfect. Alrighty. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed. Have a good one. See ya.